Why do you love it so much? I think if you own your own business, you have to be prepared to take risks. Being a woman doesn't hold you back from achieving success. Yep, so if you're struggling, just stop and pause and, and really reflect on why am I struggling here. But I've also worked really hard and telling me it's luck, I think, just takes away some of that recognition of the hard work. One last question. Welcome to Tea with the Queen, a show where I talk with some of my favourite go-getters, inspiring and courageous women in leadership and business. I'm your host, Emma McQueen. I'm a business coach, executive coach, author and speaker. And for 20 years, I've been working with women to unlock their potential and get paid their worth while doing work they love. Ever wondered how much our environment affects the way we think and feel? When you get out into nature, it clears your head and just makes you feel a whole lot better. Problem is, we can't always get out into the bush whenever we like. COVID's made sure of that. So it's important that the space close to you, whether it's the backyard or kids' playground, is designed in a way that's enjoyable. My guest today knows about this topic only too well. Debbie Laporte is the owner and director of Orterra, a landscape architecture practice in Brisbane. And she has tips for those who want to spice up their own backyard. Hi, Debbie. Thank you so much for joining us on Tea with the Queen. Otherwise known as Deb. I really call you Deb, but, you know, do you care? No, I prefer Deb a lot of the time. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to have you on the show. We haven't had anyone with your expertise on the show, so I'm really excited. I think I know what landscape design is and I know what architecture is, but what's landscape architecture? So landscape architecture, it's actually a very hard profession to try and describe to people what we do. And probably after about 15 years of doing this, my mum still doesn't really know what I do. But the best way, I think, to describe it is that landscape architects deal with anything outside of a building and we design anything outside of a building. And we really look at how those spaces are used. And when we design them, we design them for the people in those spaces who are going to be using those spaces. All right. So what's an example of a, a piece of work that you've done? So an example, I work with schools a lot. So an example is I will go into a school uh, and have a look at their grounds and how their staff and students use those spaces currently. And then I have a look at how they want to use those spaces and kind of meld the two and create something that they get a lot of enjoyment out of, basically. Brilliant. Yeah, I think the most successful projects that I see in landscape architects are probably ones that you wouldn't notice and ones where you see the most amount of people using them. Whoa. Okay. So what can good landscape architecture do for people based on that last comment? It can make people's life easier in terms of how they get around spaces. Anybody who has any kind of disability anybody who has ever hurt their leg, anybody who has a dodgy knee, 
anyone who's been pregnant, if you're trying to move about the city and get on public transport and go to the shops and it's easy for you to do that, that's what we do. That's why we make it try and make it as easy as possible for people to get around. Good design and good landscape design should make you feel, should make you connect with a place and should make you be able to use that space as easy as possible. Yeah, right. So, I mean, my next question was, can you give us an example of a poorly designed landscape architecture? So have you got some examples? Oh, poorly designed. You know, they're probably the places that people don't use. Okay. So if you look around the city or your suburb or, and people are probably, particularly people in lockdown, they probably spend a lot more time in their suburbs and you think, okay, I want to go out and go for a walk along my street. How easy is it or how pleasant is is it for you to go for that walk along your street? So good landscape architecture and or good design in landscape is it's very easy for you. It's pleasant. It's a really nice experience. You have lovely trees. It's, it's easy to get around. The bad design is where that street is not easy to walk down and there might not be a footpath or the crossings might be really difficult or you have to cross eight roads to get, you know, where you want to go. So It's so interesting. It's so interesting because I would have never thought about it as bad design. I would have gone, oh, this street just doesn't have a footpath. Yeah. Or this part, it's not very user-friendly. It's not fun. There's no one there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, no one wants to be in places that, that don't work. And part of my job is to create places that work for people in whatever capacity that is. You have your own landscape architecture practice and we'll talk about that shortly. But first and briefly, maybe can you tell me a little bit about your background? I got into landscape architecture slightly convoluted route. Um, I came out of high school wanting to be a vet, desperately, desperately wanting to be a vet. Went into science to kind of swap over into vet and I was sitting in a science lab, biology lab one day, dissecting a calf fetus of all things and I realised I actually don't want to do this anymore (laughs) and I went on this whole journey of what am I going to do with my life, took one of those career quizzes, thanks to mum who suggested that and landscape architecture was at the top and I was just kind of like, I've never heard of this before, what is this? And I started researching and calling people and I actually, in the days of the Yellow Pages phone book. Yes, yes, I remember it. (laughs) Yeah. Literally picked a name out of a phone book and called them and the director on the other end was like, yes, come in, I'll talk to you about it. And he basically encouraged me to join and kind of convinced me that this is the career I want and I've loved it ever since. Wow, but it's so different from being a vet. I know. <laughs> it, well, is it? Is it different from being a vet? It is it is different, but I'm using some of the similar tools, I suppose. I've always been creative. I still do that now. And I think, you know, to be a vet, you probably have to be very creative in how you do your things and what you're doing. I suppose they're both quite science-based Landscape architecture is quite science-based. So similarities but differences in the same same time. Well, better to better to find out in high school that you didn't want to be a vet than go through veterinary well, school. Well, this is just it. I think I saved myself some time there. 
And what I love about you is that you just picked up the phone and rang a stranger and that makes me so happy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to find out about it any other way. So I'm like, so true. So what made you start your own business? Is it something that you always wanted to do? No, it's not. When I first got out of uni, I'm like, I'm never starting my own business. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> um, it's been a journey and I think a huge part of it and the change in me kind of happened when I had kids. Design and anybody who's listening who is in a design profession or architecture, planning, engineering, it can be very, very long hours and very tight deadlines. And I wanted to be there for my kids and I just kind of got to the point where I was like, I need to make a decision in my career what I, what I want. And I want to, there's got to be a better way to work and I want a better work-life balance. And the only way I could see me doing that is by doing it myself. So I just went, you know what, I'm going to do it. Wow. And how long ago was that? Coming up to three years. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Who are your clients and how do you get them? Oh, clients. I have a very, very varied client base. A very, very varied. <laughs> a very, very varied. I know, that was quite said quite well, wasn't it? <laughs> um, I work with residential clients. So homeowners, predominantly, they might be new build or renovating. I work with schools and education. And I also, I suppose, sort of specialise in nature play, and particularly, um, which I love. Which has become more popular over the years. It, it has become more popular and um, all for people getting outdoors and being part of nature as you want. And that just rolls right along with my philosophy of life. I also do a lot of infrastructure work. So clients are engineers who and councils who are building roads or upgrading roads. And I also do a lot of work for property developers, architects, planners, Interior designers I work with a bit as well, just on uh, subdivisions and housing estates, on parks, on retail developments, and I also work with local councils. So when they're upgrading their parks or when they're doing their streetscapes or they want planning studies or those type of things. So, yeah, I, I work with a lot of different people. Yeah, it sounds it. So how do you how do you get clients? What's your current way of getting clients? I'm a bit nervous about asking this question because I kind of know. <laughs> kind of know. Word of mouth <laughs> is a big one. I also network a lot. I spend a lot of time going out and meeting people and finding out about how I can help them achieve their goals. And I suppose, you know, I'm on the normal social media outlets, Instagram, LinkedIn, just connecting with people I think is really the big one. I've found the most successful. Yeah, yeah. I think you've got this thing about you that you're interested in people and I think that that goes a long way because, you know, people warm to people who are interested in them because they're interesting, right? So I think that's a gift you've got, to be honest. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um, you've designed some playgrounds for a kindergarten and a junior school. What did you consider when making a kid's play area? Oh, I think when it comes to designing spaces for children, it's all about looking at what's there and what the play value of a place is. 
and then bringing in as much play value as possible. And when I say play value, I say, what can a child get out of this space? And how can they use this space to really engage their creativity and engage how they interact with the space and the world and other kids to form some really interesting and engaging types of play? And so probably a good example is I've gone to a few schools and they say, oh, well, I'm, oh we're having some behavioural problems. And I'll sort of go, okay, let's go and have a look at your play space. And they've got grass to play on. And that's about it. So thinking if I was a eight-year-old girl or boy and I was in the playground and all I had to play on was grass and maybe a tree if I'm lucky, I'm going to get pretty bored. So I'm going, there's not much play value there. There's not much to interact with. There's not much to do. Tag can only get children so far. So my whole, the whole job is to increase that play value in any kind of playground I design. How can I, how can I do that? So does those, the people that call you, the schools that they call you in, do they connect that there's behavioural issues because the playground's boring, do you think? A lot of them do, yeah. Oh, and wow. And that's why they start to call me. I remember there was a particular school I went to and they were having only having problems with, I think it was grade three and grade four, and that's because often in schools the playgrounds are separated into kind of age groups. So the preps play in one area and the grade one, et cetera. The grade four three, four playground was this grass patch with a tree in it and that was it. And the kids get bored. So then they go and search for something else to do and then, you know. Pick up sticks. Kick kick each other. Well, they didn't even have sticks to pick up. That was the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Bless. Yeah. My solution is give them a whole heap of sticks and let them do something with it. So, and there's so much research out there at the moment on how engaging in play can really stimulate children and help them in so many other ways other than just play. Play is not just play. Play is a whole host of learning that you can't get in the classroom. It's so important. I don't think people realize quite how important it is. And it's not just sport play, it's free play. It's that ability for a child just to let go and just engage in whatever they want to do. Yeah, yeah. I think our school has the motto, play is the way which is really lovely, right? Um, So I've got a question. So the school hires you to create these beautiful spaces. When do the kids get involved? Who checks? Because, of course, the playground is not for the school. It's for the kids. Like they're actually the client. (laughs) How do you incorporate all that in? So I work with the kids. So, yeah, so we often, often do workshops um, I actually did one the other week where I had a group of 40 students aged about eight or nine up to a sort of grade six, so 11, 12. And we did a whole workshop on their school and started with what they liked and didn't like about the school and ended up talking about what could be there. What would they want to see? So yeah, I'd get the kids involved. That's cool. That's good change management right there. Yeah. And the school knows that when they engage you, that that this is the process that you're going to go through. That's cool. So it's super thorough. It's part of the whole, and I don't just engage the kids. I engage the teachers and the the parents as well, because the teachers are such an, they're there. It's their area of employment. Like 
It needs to be, they see the problems, they see what happens. And the parents need to be on board with what's happening. And they have a whole different view on things. So when you combine those sort of three elements together, you can end up coming up with some amazing spaces that is for that school. And every every school's different. Every project I do is different. Whether it's for a homeowner or a school or a developer, they all have a specific need and requirement that I need to try and flesh out and then come up with something that's going to that's gonna work for them. That's so cool. It makes your job interesting too, right? Because then you're not just designing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's no way I could design the same thing over and over again. Tell me, what's the term green infrastructure and why should we be thinking about it? I love this topic too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, my definition, and I think it should be the general definition, is <laughs> You're talking about what they call the green and blue Im- infrastructure. So green, when we talk about green, we talk about biodiversity, vegetation, animals, kind of ecology and that sort of side of things. And when we talk about the blue, we talk about waterways. So how we deal with our water and our oceans and our lakes and our rivers and everything else. And so green infrastructure is about combining those two and actually looking about our world around us and going we need to consider those first before we do anything. And then we look at how we do our other infrastructure and other infrastructure things like the hospitals and police stations, they're the roads, the public transport, our, all of our housing and shops. And the whole idea and why green infrastructure is so important is because if we considered our environment and our ecology and that first and then put everything else in place, whatever else we put in place would be a hundred times better than not considering it first. Because the spaces that you are creating is all about being included in that environment rather than let's just, what happens often, start from scratch and then we'll create something. Or, or an afterthought. Or an afterthought. Yeah, right. Okay. So it, what's your favourite spaces to create? There's nothing better for me than going back to a space, say a playground I've designed, and seeing the school kids play and engage really well in play. Or there's nothing else better than going back even to like a retail shopping centre or a street and you see people doing what they should be doing in that space and enjoying it. For me, that's the success of my work. It's actually going there after it's been built and seeing people enjoy it and being happy in it. Oh, look at you. I love it. Deb, any tips for those of us that have a backyard? I think my biggest tip is uh, make sure you plant the right plant in the right place. And what I mean by that is really think about your yard or your balcony or whatever you have. And certain plants do better in certain locations due to sun, water, soil. Think about how often you actually want to maintain that plant. So don't buy something that's going to need a lot of trimming and a lot of care if you don't like gardening. So if you're a bit prickly, buy yourself a cactus. No, I'm kidding. If you don't want to water the plant, though, you might buy yourself a cactus. Exactly. If you don't want to water the plant, buy yourself a cactus. Tell me, what are some of the challenges with running your own gig? I think for me, 
my industry is very much goes on peaks and troughs. So the peaks can be hard and there's a lot of work in the peaks. <laughs> and the troughs can sometimes be very low. So kind of trying to manage that balance to ensure staff are okay in both of those levels is probably quite a big challenge. I think the other challenge is, you know, not think too short term. Mm. What do you mean by that? Not so much where's the next job coming from, but how, like, long-term, where's the where's the plan for the business? Yeah, where's the pipeline? Where's the pipeline? What do I actually want to achieve? And how's that actually going to work long-term and not just think we just need another job now sort of thing? It's easy to fall into that trap as a business owner, though. It, it is, yeah. And you say, I see a lot of women who fall into that trap where they're like, oh, crap, where's the next thing coming from? Where's the next? And it's almost then out of desperation, and then it never seems to come. Yes. But if you're sitting there going, this is planned, we'll be right, you know, almost a mindset of abundance, you know, like it just turns up, but you still do the work. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're out there, you're networking, you're talking to people, you're doing all the things that you need to do to make sure that you're positioned well in the marketplace so that those word of mouths do pop up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Any other challenges to running your own gig? I think knowing when family needs me more. And knowing when my business needs me more. Oh, that's a good one. How do you know? I think it's keeping an eye on my family first and just seeing how they're going. And there are times when I know the business needs me more, but I have to choose them first because they'll always come first. And I'm kind of, that's why I got into this. That's right. <laughs> like yeah. that's why I opened my own business so I could have that that ability to make that choice a lot easier and just accepting that that is actually part of my business plan and my business strategy and how I run my business is they come first and making sure I keep up in tabs with that. And you've just hired someone to help you. I have. It feels like a big step when you've got your own business. It does. Doesn't it? <laughs> big scary step. But do you reckon it's necessary to hire them just before you need them rather oh, than absolutely. wait until you're like knackered and you need to hire someone quick? I I foresaw if I didn't hire somebody, I would be in trouble. And she's just happened to come on board at the right time. Um, she's only been with me for three weeks now. And I tell you what, they have been some of the busiest three weeks that we've had. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, which has been absolutely amazing. And she has been just an absolute godsend. And I've loved having her in the office with me. So if I hadn't have done that, I would have been in a bit of trouble. Yeah, right. So three weeks in and she's already having that kind of impact. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So I think... Just being aware, particularly I think if you have a long-term plan about where you want to be and just making those decisions a little bit earlier so things fall into place rather than going, I'll just I'll just hold off for a little bit longer. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because holding off doesn't always work. <laughs> no. And a lot of my um, clients do hold off that a little bit and I just think, mm, just get a little bit of help <laughs> because what you'll notice happen is you get the help a little bit before you need it and then all hell breaks loose and you're like, holy crap, what did I do without this person here? Yeah, yeah. It also gives them time to onboard the person well, right? Yes. Yeah, you've had that time, which is great. Yeah, that's really important. Yeah, totally. What uh, advice for those listening who might be thinking about going out on their own and starting their own business, what advice would you give them? Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just 
jump in with both feet and gather around you and find some really good support. Hmm. It's about support, isn't it? Yeah, because I think in the first sort of year, it's probably taken me two years really to get my support network up and running to a point and just accept that that's probably going to happen. But I think if you just go for it and find those people who are the right people for you to support you, then you can do anything. When you first started, who was your support network? What type of people? I think colleagues who are in the industry. I think there were some people that I went to there who, yeah, they were they were probably my first first line of support and some of them still are one of my first lines of support now. <laughs> then just branching out from there and finding finding different people who who you click with who who get your style and who get can see what you want to achieve and are there for you to bounce ideas off or just have a cup of tea with or whatever you need because it can be, I know the first year can be pretty lonely sometimes. Yeah. In business, sitting by yourself. Yeah, it really can be quite lonely. And I think sometimes we don't know what we don't know. So I had Tracy Myler-Crane from TM Solicitor on the podcast a little while ago and we were talking about legals and I got that many DMs from people going, I don't have my legals. I'm like, go to Tracy. Or, you know, what did you get done? They were just asking me some questions because Tracy did ours. And you don't know what you don't know. So there's no judgment. It's just like you got to go out and get the things. It's like women will come to me and they'll go, okay, well, so I'm like, how are you tracking your income on a spreadsheet? Okay, you need to go get zero. You need to go get QuickBooks. You need to go, you know, invest in your business. Otherwise, if you don't invest, it's just a hobby. Absolutely. I think investing, and I think that investing comes back to kind of hiring at the right time. It's also investing in the right things at the right time to make your life easier because spreadsheets only work for so long. (laughs) Spreadsheets spreadsheets never worked for me. I was like, I'm going to get zero. And the first thing I outsourced once I understood the numbers was a bookkeeper and accountant. (laughs) They were my two things. I do not want to see these things ever again. I mean, I do. I'm interested, but you know. And I think different ways of doing things because you can be doing the same thing the same way all the time. And it's sort of like, hang on a second, (laughs) there's actually a better way to do this. And I never would have thought about it. Yes. And I think I'm always trying to look at better ways to doing things, but I think that might be the the designer in me. I'm always trying to solve problems for people to do things better or how can I achieve this or make this or whatever. So, But that's good. It is good. good. So it makes you efficient. Yeah. And I'm always (laughs) trying to look for – my philosophy in design is there's always another way to do it. It might not be the exact way you thought it was going to be happen, but there's always another way. You just need to find one of this. I think it's the same for business. There's always another way. It just might not be in the little picture that you originally had in your head. Yeah, in the or or sometimes we come from we watch other businesses and we compare ourselves to other businesses. I mean, I've got many clients who are like, well, they're doing this, this, and this, and I'm like, but they're a product based business and you're a service based business, so that's not going to work. Or we take the bits that are working from that and we help you do that as well. But I think it's really interesting. I think the support network is a fantastic first thing to get. What other practical tips would you give someone if they were starting their business? Just do it. Get your support network up and running. What else? Make sure your workplace is is comfy. Yes. Like your actual office space, the place that you are working. Spend a bit of money on it and just make it yours. Yeah, good. Because it's you got to go there every day, right? Exactly. May as well enjoy it. 
there is nothing else worse than not enjoying where you're sitting because you won't enjoy your work. Even if you love your work, if you don't actually enjoy where you're doing the work, you're not going to like it. Yeah. Good tips. Thank you, Deb. And thank you so much for joining us on Tea with the Queen. Thank you for having me. Oh, I hope those people that are listening have taken some really practical tips away and also learned a little bit more about landscape architecture because before we started working together, I probably had no idea either. But now I understand that I'm walking down the street and it's not easy. Bad design. I know this now. (laughs) So thank you so much for joining us. What a pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of Tea with the Queen. If you love this episode, let me know. I would love to hear from you. And you're very welcome to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to contact me directly, all my details are at my website, emmamcqueen.com.au. I look forward to your company next episode. I'm Emma McQueen. Thanks for listening. Listening.